This is Tony Johnson with Heron.org Soundbites. I'm here today with Brent Kessel, and we're here to discuss his work with members of Tonic. Hi, Brent. Hi, Tony. We're doing this as a joint project with Tonic to really delve into some of the valued managers and advisors that work with Tonic members. Can you talk a little bit about the types of impact services you provide and give a glimpse of your typical impact client and maybe thoughts on investors who may be way ahead on the curve on this? Sure. So the Tonic members that we worked with and the 100% Network members we've worked with have hired us to really do soup to nuts wealth management for them. So that includes financial planning, tax planning, which actually has a big impact on how quickly they can migrate their portfolio from where it is to being 100% impact, because taxes obviously play a part in that, estate planning, philanthropy, et cetera, et cetera, and then the detailed impact strategy work that we do. The other services of the line really are more specialized impact consulting. So a family office or a large foundation doesn't need a personal cash flow projection and they don't need insurance advice and some of the things that wealth management includes. So for those, we're really focused much more on kind of impact mission statement and how do we align the investment portfolio and the grant portfolio with those values, with that mission. What was the journey that got you into impact? Could you contrast it to any other work you've done in the traditional investing space? Was there a learning curve? And how does it compare to a general rise in the market? I mean, there's there's definitely a learning curve and it never, ever ends. I think that's probably one of the biggest things I've learned the longer I've been in this is that I used to think of social investing or responsible investing as binary. You either did it or you didn't. And while there's some truth that, you know, maybe it's binary if someone just has zero interest in it and is completely closed to it, once you open that door, even a crack, it becomes completely unbinary. It becomes the spectrum and it's very iterative, you know, so you can always go further with how you define impact, with which of your resources you choose to measure. Even if we're talking about all your philanthropy and all your assets, then you might want to consider your consumption choices. Not that we give advice on that, but you know, it's really never ending. And to me, there's no pure definition of having arrived, like even a hundred percent impact could be a hundred percent, you know, responsible using the definitions that Tonic provides. And you could go from that to, you know, having 50% responsible and 50% focused impact first or thematic impact, which would be an, an increase in impact but it doesn't get your total percentage under the sort of impact umbrella to be any higher. It never ends. I started in proactive private equity impact investing in 2004. We've made about 30 impact investments over those 12 years in all kinds of themes and all geographies, probably two thirds emerging markets, one third US, really very little in Europe, other than a, a solar investment that we did that actually turned out quite well. And then before that, in kind of the responsible investing, you know, public equity, public bond space, we started that in the early 90s. How do you decide what is or what is not an impact investment? In thinking about the various rating systems, screening methodologies, where do you land? Are there methodologies that you think are really great or some that you say are no-go? Yeah, first of all, I mean, this is a big area where we need so much more attention and so much more improvement in the data that's being collected and measured. We tend to favor operational metrics over reputational metrics. So. Our investment philosophy is, is quite quantitative, quite diversified, and pretty disciplined. It doesn't rely on much tactical kind of moving around from sector to sector or asset class to asset class. 
And so as a result, I think our approach to ESG investing in public equities and bonds is also quantitatively oriented and pretty rigorous and disciplined. So I'm much more interested in kind of the, you know, how do you measure the products and practices and services and supply chain behavior of a particular company using quantitative metrics. And I'm less interested in a story that a journalist happens upon about a particular company that is doing something wrong. I mean, often it's those stories, whether it was about apartheid South Africa or sweatshop labor in Asia, that lead to the development of quantitative data that can then be applied more broadly. So this journalism is very helpful and useful and, and educational, but I don't like it as a tool for portfolio construction and management. Do you use research and other client services to help educate traditional investors? And do you help your clients influence and outreach to expand uh, the market? Definitely. I think the way this spreads is with storytelling. And so we use our quarterly newsletters for storytelling. The unfortunate part is that the human brain has pretty limited capacity to, to take on new material. And so, you know, if I can get our clients to remember kind of one story a quarter, that's great. So last quarter, I told the story of a, a private equity investment we made called Fulcrum Bioenergy that is taking municipal solid waste, trash basically, and turning it into jet fuel. And it's been phenomenally successful in terms of the airline's interest in it and investment in it. And it's a concept anyone can understand. Like, oh wow, we can take trash that is expensive, a lot of it doesn't degrade, and instead of having to pay to dispose of it, pay both financially and environmentally to dispose of it, we can turn it into fuel at 85% less carbon footprint than current jet fuel and 60% lower cost. So it's like a financial win, an environmental win. If I can get one story like that out a quarter, and, and we tend to do one story on the private equity side, one story on the public equity and public fixed income side, I think that spreads the message a lot. We have a pretty strong graphics team, so I believe the picture's worth a lot more than words, and so we try and share a lot of our educational content using graphics and not just pictures, but also sort of graphics we create and tools. We, you know, the visual depiction of quantitative information is really fascinating to me and how you tell a financial story with pictures is important. So you've talked about using operational data and quantitative metrics. How closely are you tracking impact performance and do you align it at all with thinking about how the company is doing financially? If a company is going south, how do you advise a client on whether to actively engage or whether to maybe think about divesting? It's really up to the client. So we, we start with sort of strategic preferences and these vary by client. So we're not a one size fits all kind of business. We believe that impact is very personal. So one person may say, yeah, I wanna own the bad actors in a number of industries and I wanna be about engagement. I wanna pledge my shares so that new shareholder resolutions come out. And one client may wanna do that around gender parity and another client may wanna do that around climate disclosure. The tools they want to use vary by client. What they use those tools to impact varies by client. The asset classes within which they want to act varies by client. The amount of time they have personally to engage with it varies by client. Some want to delegate it to us or to others. Some want to be very involved, go to the shareholders meetings, write the letters to management, tell all their friends and take it on as a personal cause. 
So we're pretty agnostic as to which of those choices each client makes, but we view our role as really trying to help the client get energy from their impact investing experience by tailoring it to what they love to do. I just have one last question. Impact investing seems to be gaining increasing momentum. Why do you think this is happening now and how does it relate to long-term economic trends? I think impact investing will not really be a term itself in some number of years, five years, 10 years, something like that, because impact investing really is about identifying a problem and solving it with business. And that's really, almost all business is predicated on that. You find a, a problem or a value you can create for people and you get paid for that. Another way to say it is take resources and make something better out of those resources. And then if you can take fewer resources to make that same thing, your profit margin goes up. That's just kind of business 101. That's not impact investing. So I think the role of impact investing is to point out the resources that are scarce, that the general market doesn't think are scarce yet, and say, hey, you've got to pay attention to carbon emissions. You've got to pay attention to clear-cutting rainforests for beef production. You've got to pay attention to polluting water. You know, there's lots of these resources that are getting scarce at an alarming rate. And if we wait for business to take the signal from a pricing market, it may be too late. So in a way, we're trying to forestall what business will pay attention to eventually, because if a resource gets ultra scarce, there will be more value to the business that figures out how to use that resource more efficiently. We're trying to get ahead of the curve, really. Figure it out now because it's clear that it's going that way you know, in, in lots of these different places. Thank you, Brett. Thanks, Tony. For Heron.org, this is Tony Johnson.